This is the L3 Leadership Podcast, episode number 117. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 117 of the L3 Leadership Podcast. My name is Doug Smith, and I'm the founder of L3 Leadership. We're a leadership development company devoted to helping you become the best leader that you can be. As always, if you're new to the podcast, this is a podcast to help you grow your leadership skills. Uh, Every month, we're committed to bringing you at least three episodes. One will always come from our leadership events. One will be an interview I do with a high-level leader, and then once a month, you'll also get a personal leadership lesson by me. If you've been listening for a while, I'd really appreciate if you would hop on iTunes tunes and leave a rating and review. It really does make a difference. And uh, it only takes about two minutes. So thank you so much in advance for doing that. And thank you to everyone who has. I really appreciate it. Before we jump into our talk, I want to thank our sponsors, Bab Inc. They are an insurance broker, third-party administrator, and consulting firm in Pennsylvania and around the country, led by my friend Russell Livingston, and they host our monthly leadership events in a beautiful building, uh, but they're a phenomenal business. I love uh, their team. I love their culture of leadership. I love their culture of leadership development, and I just love the way that they do business. And so if you want to check out them on the web, you can go to babbins.com. That's B-A-B-B-I-N-S.com, and check out all the great work that they're doing. With that being said, I just want to introduce our speaker and then we'll jump right into his talk. Um, this episode comes from our breakfast series in which we, again, bring in high-level leaders to share their best leadership content. And this month, we had the privilege of having Denny Patton, who is the fo- founder of Silver Ring Things, speak. Um, and just so you know, in this episode, you'll actually hear Denny's talk. And in episode 118, you'll get to listen to our Q&A session with Denny. And so uh, we break our events into two different episodes. One's a Q&A and one's just a talk. If you're unfamiliar with Silver Ring thing. They're a purity program uh, that Denny started many years ago, and they literally hold events all over the world teaching students about purity. And my wife and I, Laura and I, have been deeply impacted by their ministry. Um, one thing they do is they ask kids to commit uh, to purity and get a, a silver ring and then exchange it with their spouse on their wedding day, letting them know that they saved themselves for each other. And uh, that was something that Laura and I did, and it was extremely special for us. And they've impacted literally over 600,000 students that you'll hear Denny talk about with their program. And this was a ministry that that Denny will share how he started it, but really he just launched it out of his heart. And now it's literally gone around the world and is making a huge impact. And uh, you can definitely support them or learn more at silverringthing.com. Again, that's just all spelled out, silverringthing.com, and you can learn more about their programming. So that being said, you're going to love this talk by Denny. I'll be back at the end with a few announcements. Enjoy. Okay. Hello. Hello. Am I on? Hello. Yes, I'm on. Okay. Well, it's great to be here this morning. Some people don't think it's great to be here in the morning because they're not morning people, but I'm a morning person. So it's always great for me to be up because I like mornings, especially when it's sunny out and the sun is rising, which it was this morning as I was driving in. So today I wasn't exactly sure what I would say. And I, a lot of times when I speak, I'll just kind of fill out the crowd, fill out the audience. And, um, and then kind of wing it. But uh, I do have notes. But if I do start to wing it, it'll be because I sense God's asked me to say something different. Um, leadership to me is, uh, I just can't even begin to tell you how big of, a, of a, um, a concept leadership is to me. It's been one of my primary purposes in life for 46 years. Um, And so 
to speak at a leadership meeting is always something that intrigues me. Um, <clears throat> I'm a very fundamental person. Uh, when I played sports, everything was fundamentals to me. Uh, if I wasn't doing well, I would go back to extreme fundamentals. Or like when I play golf, it's fundamentals. So when it comes to ministry, I have a similar approach that God has given me, you know, to be very fundamental, very simple about tasks. Um, so let me give you my number one fundamental, the number one thing <clears throat> that has driven me, at least for my entire life since I became a Christian. And that is um, leading people to Christ. That's what I live to do. I believe I'm on the planet as an individual to do whatever I can possible with all of my energy to help people end up in heaven. And if people end up in hell, I feel like I failed them at least wherever God would be putting me into their lives. <clears throat> so for me, that's very important. What is the purpose of life? Um, for me, the purpose of life, and there's a lot of different Christian purposes, there's a lot of different purposes, but for me personally, it is to help people find Christ and go to heaven. Pretty simple. It's an interesting verse in the scriptures, and it's, it's one of the verses you probably would, if you read it, you just go right over top it and move on. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, and it actually is the two verses that precede the two verses that are on our ring, which are 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. But these are the two verses that begin chapter 4 in 1 Thessalonians. It says this, Paul is writing, Finally, brothers... We instruct you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. You go, okay, <laughs> I hope I didn't come all the way just to hear something that simplistic. But I told you I'm fundamental, okay? Paul is saying basically, and he's urging the Thessalonians who he's writing to, that I want you to live your life to please God. Okay, you know. And then he says something else. He says, and do it more and more. That's pretty simplistic. But I'll tell you this. If you just do that, God will bless your life. And there's nothing higher that can happen in your life than to be blessed by God. So if you say to me today, God is blessing my life, there's no space above that that you can get. That's the highest point you can reach, being blessed by God. There's nothing above it. See what I'm saying? That's the top. Well, how do you get blessed by God? Live your life to please him and do it more and more. How simple is that? But that's a leadership principle. If you just did that every morning... God will bless your life and go back to bed. I mean, you know, it's, that's the day. I mean, it doesn't take much more than that. So I love that principle. So my purpose in life has always been to do whatever I can in God's, under God's Holy Spirit's control to help people end up in heaven. Okay? And, um, and I do that with a very childlike style. 
The person who led me to Christ was very childlike. He didn't have um, a lot of filters for adults. He just lived his life very childlike. He often would do things that maybe even close to being against the law as he led me to Christ. And I was very attracted to his childlike personality. And this childlike personality didn't leave him when he was with presidents of Alcoa Aluminum and other people he would meet with. He would carry this childlike personality. And I studied uh, creative thinking um, as a uh, course, which I actually became a... um, a person that could do these presentations for brainstorming and creative thinking, and it uses the Disney approach. And Walt Disney was a master at creative thinking. And his approach was basically that he looked for the childlike personality inside the adult, and he tried to expose it. So if you took your kid to a Donald Duck movie, all right, and you looked at the humor in the movie about Donald Duck, it was way above the child's capacity. So why would this duck be doing all these things that a child really can't grasp yet? It's because Walt Disney was looking for that adult, and he wanted to dig inside his or her life as well. And so I've never lost that. I am a childlike person. I kid around. I act silly. I act stupid. Um, And I do things almost against the law at times, okay? But I have a childlike personality. It's helped my children find Christ and be comfortable in Christ. Because when you have to say what your dad do, he talks to teenagers about sex. It's pretty tough to get through high school. Okay? But they have this childlike uh, experience with me to know that we're for real, we're genuine, we're authentic. We don't, we don't play games like we're super religious, you know. So that's the first thing. A little bit about the silver ring thing. My wife and I moved to Yuma, Arizona after praying for nine months, and what we prayed was we prayed that God would close every door in our life but one, and whatever door was open, we, we would go through it. That's another very important leadership principle. Don't pray for open doors. Pray for all doors to be closed but one. That way God can lead you. If you pray for open doors, you have to make the choice. So we prayed for nine months, and I had something like 45 interviews or network meetings uh, during this time. And we ended up in Yuma, Arizona, which is a very small town in Arizona. It's a farming town. They grow lettuce, and, I mean, it's no big deal. While I was there, the federal government came into our town and told us we had the highest teen pregnancy rate of any county in America. So I got invited to a meeting where they were offering funding for people to teach absence. And I wasn't particularly into absence. I mean, I believed in waiting to be married to have sex, but I wasn't really, you know, into it. So I went to this meeting, and the lady got up, and she started talking about the rules that it would take to get federal funding, what you had to do. And um, so finally, I was getting very upset in this meeting. There's about 200 people in the room. I raised my hand, and I stood up, and I said, excuse me, but could you tell me who invented abstinence? She said, I, I I don't know. I said, no, I mean the person who invented it. Because you're saying to me that if you have a meeting in your rooms that you're using, is you have to take any religious symbols off the wall. And that was kind of ticking me off. Even though I don't have any religious symbols on my wall, it just made me mad. So finally I said, God's the one who invented abstinence. And for you to say that he can't be involved in it is ludicrous to me. So I sat down and she made a couple more speeches. I finally stood up, I stood up and I looked and I said, this is satanic. 
This is satanic and I'm out of here. And I walked out. And I never say that kind of stuff. So, but God was doing something. And I went home and my wife said, why are you so angry? And I said, I don't know. Kind of ticked off. So why don't you get on to Mexico and get some rings? We live right on the border of Mexico. She said, what for? I said, well, you know, you you wear a a gold ring for wedding. We'll get silver rings for kids that want to wait till they're married to have sex. That's all it was. So she went down to Mexico. You can walk right across the border, buy your stuff and walk back. And she brought back this bag of rings, and we taught absence to maybe, I don't know, 30, 40 kids in our fall program. We did a seven-week program on abstinence. And 25 or so kids put on the ring, and I thought I was done. <clears throat> One little girl came up afterwards and said, is there any way we can do this again? I have a, a friend of mine that really needs to hear this message. I said, honey, I don't think I'm going to ever talk to teenagers about sex again like that. That almost killed me, you know. But what we decided to do is we decided to do it on a um, <clears throat> one night instead of seven weeks. And we wrote down in our calendar, somebody said, well, when are we going to do this? And I think it was like April 11th or something. Somebody said, what should I write down on the calendar? I said, well, just write down, you know, the, the silver ring thing, and we'll come up with a name for it later. That's how we got our name, the silver ring thing. So we do this three or four times in Arizona a, a year. I got asked to come back to Pittsburgh to run somebody's international ministry here, which I ended up doing. And I told him I had this program. I thought it had some potential. It had some, some legs. Maybe we could take advantage of it. It's called the silver ring thing. So we kind of adopted it. And we started doing it here in Pittsburgh. And then cities started calling us, can you bring us this to your city? And we said, well, you can come up here. We'll show you how to do it. But well, finally, we, we put it in a little van. You know, we towed a trailer behind and We started to do a show with high school students in a couple of cities, you know. We get back about 1 in the morning on a Sunday night, actually Monday morning, and kids go back to school. And we do that four or five times a year. And that just grew into we needed more shows and they were further away. People kept calling. So we ended up creating a, a travel team. So now we have a travel team of 12, 20-somethings that we recruit nationwide. We have about 120 to 150 applications a year to come on tour with us from all over the nation, and we take six. So it's highly competitive. Um, so that's kind of how we got to where we are. But the big breakthrough for us is when the international media decided they wanted to come cover us which shocked us. So I get this call from the BBC. We'd like to come and film the Silver Ring thing. This is like in 2004. And I go, well, why would you want to do that? Well, it's, it's insane. We, we, um, we're celebrating the 35th anniversary here in the UK of teaching safe sex to the students. And it's really been a bad, it's been a failure. And so we want to, we've been hammering the government about it. And so long and short of it was, they went to come over and find out why we're teaching abstinence because they could not believe teenagers would, would wait to have sex. So I said no to them at least 20 times. But finally, they ended up coming over, and they brought four staff people, and they went everywhere we went for two months, including filming a, uh, a debate we had with the University of Pittsburgh against Planned Parenthood. I took them to Washington, D.C. when I was meeting with... Um, you know, Rick Santorum and other senators and congressmen, they filmed this thing and took it back to the UK and put it on as a primetime special called American Virgins. And it played three or four times in primetime in the UK. And then they sent it out to 170 of their affiliate nations. 
And all of a sudden, Silver Ring thing was known worldwide. Now, you really know God's in control when that happens because we don't have that kind of ability, right? Well, then all of a sudden, not only that, but then everybody started calling us, can we come film you? And so we ended up doing 350 interviews. I mean, insanity. I mean, 60 Minutes did a piece on us. Uh, Good Morning America, Today Show, MTV sent Christina Aguilera to Pittsburgh to interview us and put it on as a primetime special on MTV. I mean, it it goes on and on and on. And we just sat back, and you, you really do know God's in control when something like that happens. So God just took us as a, you know, out of the dirt type of organization and let us be known worldwide. And so we began to share with our nation um, the value of waiting till you're married to have sex. And the idea is simple. You know, we put on a show. It's about a two-hour show. And at the end of it, we say, okay, if you'd like to make a commitment to that, if you'd like to make a commitment, there we go, you just get one of these rings and you put it on your finger. On your wedding day, you take it off and give it to your husband or wife and say, I've waited for you. And that's the imagery we give to students. And we've had 625,000 students come, um, 250,000 have put on the rings, and 125,000 have given their lives to Christ. Because ultimately, we're an evangelistic organization. If we weren't doing evangelism, I wouldn't be involved in this. We've had about 70,000 parents trained as well. So God has really blessed it, and that's basically the background on Silvering Thing. One of the principles about silvering thing that I share with uh, our key staff is that I don't know anybody in leadership who's been successful who doesn't burn the candle at both ends. I hear a lot of people say, don't burn the candle at both ends, you'll burn out. I guess that may be true, but I don't know anybody who's been successful on their own who didn't burn the candle at both ends. Successful doesn't mean making lots of money. It means accomplishing goals, accomplishing objectives of the magnitude we just talked about. So burning the candle at both ends is a principle that I'm not afraid of. You need to have a great support network around you. you need, if you have a family, you need to have a great family, a great wife who supports you in my case who agrees or can live with the idea that you're going to make all the efforts for the family, including burning the candle at both ends for the family. It's not either or. This is what's so crazy. It's both and. Burn the candle at both ends for your family. Burn the candle at both ends for friends. Burn the candle at both ends for what you're doing. In other words, go for it. Um, another principle that I deeply believe in in leadership is finding common ground. Um, one of the things I found out very early in life is that theology separates. Theology separates people. So if you focus on theology, you will focus on being separated. And the way I've always been able to kind of get around that in my heart and in my life and how I, how I hang out with people and spend time with people is a very simple principle. My principle is if you are going to be my brother or sister in Christ in heaven for eternity, how, how important really is theology at that point? 
If I size you up and think you're going to heaven, I'm going to heaven, we're going to be laughing about some of this theology up there. We're going to be thinking it's pretty crazy that we really allowed ourselves to be separated like that. Now, that doesn't mean theology isn't important. Again, it's not either or. It's both and. Okay? How do you have great theology and still love people? How do you have great theology and still be able to hang out with people who think completely different than you? How do you do it? For me, it's real simple. If you're going to be in heaven with me, I don't have a problem with you. (laughs) You know, you're my brother and sister in heaven. Let's go. Let's just, okay, we're different. So what? You know, somebody else can figure that out. I don't have time for that, basically. And another principle we have is we have no all-stars. It's silver ink thing. It's something we we talk about a lot. There's no all-stars. I'm the president and founder. So what? We show up at a show. I'm one person. None of this is going to go on if everybody else isn't doing their job. Right? So I'm not an all-star just because God set me here to start this thing. So what? There's no all-stars. We all are incredibly important to the bottom line of getting the job done. And so I think that's a really, really important principle in leadership. Have no all-stars. You know, and really work at that. It's not always going to work perfectly, okay? But I really suggest we work at that. So there's three key words to remember about leadership. The first one is leadership. The second word you might want to write down is leadership. And then there's a different third word, leadership. Leadership is incredibly important. Those three words are incredibly important. Um, I believe leadership is more important than small groups. There's a huge thing going around our country now that we've got to break up into small groups, and small groups are how you grow, and small groups, small groups. You've heard it all, right? Again, nothing wrong with small groups, but not at the expense of, of chasing leadership. Okay? I see way too many Christians hanging out in small groups with very little leadership being expressed. All right? I actually believe that if you have a small group, it should be all about leadership and teaching people about leadership. So, for instance, I have a Bible study that I started at my home this summer. And um, we get millennials to this Bible study. And we get 20 to 25 uh, students each week in my living room. And I've said this on numerous occasions. I said, look, if you're coming to this Bible study to learn the Bible, you're in the wrong place. Which, wait a minute, (laughs) what do you mean? You're going to learn the Bible by being here, but that's not why we're here. The question is, are you going to become somebody who goes out into our world and transforms lives? Because if you're not going out to transform lives, then to be honest with you, I'm not that interested myself in being here. Because I'm one person, and if my life counts, it's the fact that it helps you to become interested in going out and sharing your faith and helping other lives be transformed, however it works in your life. Because I'm not here just to help Christians get fat, spiritually fat. I'm here to get people to get out into the space that's out there. So last week at our Bible study, I taught on how to give away your faith. Because most people have never been taught how to give away your faith in a way that works for them. 
So I talked that through, and then I shared my personable, personal way, and if you want me to share that when we have the discussion, how do I share faith with somebody? And how have I been doing that on a plane, in a restaurant, over the years? Um, I'll be happy to do that. But the idea is leadership. You're not coming here to follow. You're coming here to grow and go out into our world to transform lives. Um, A couple of principles under leadership. Number one. Do not fail, do not fear failure. You can never fear failing, although you never accept it either. Don't fear failure, but don't accept failure. Well, that sounds like double talk, doesn't it? Not really. When you fail, just start over. Do something else. So don't fear failure, but don't accept it either. Just start over when something doesn't work. Number two, assume the risk. One of the big things about being an entrepreneur is assuming the risk. It's actually part of the definition. When you do something, you've got to assume the risk with Christ, with the Holy Spirit, but you assume it. And own the risk for what you're about to go do. And then as you own that risk, um, make adjustments. Help people get through the hard times. Because there's going to be hard times no matter what you do. For instance, the organization I'm in, we're always having to raise money. You know, lots of times we don't get paid if we don't raise money. Well, nobody wants to go talk to somebody about asking them for money. Who wants to do that? Very few people. I assume that. That's what I assume. It's my job, you know. And um, I'm not asking money for me. I'm asking money for a cause to see lives changed. Um, Most people are very, very interested in giving money if God is working in your life and things are happening. Most people want to give to something like that. And third, this is a really cool principle. Um, God never asks us to be successful. He only asks us to be obedient. God never asks us to be successful, only to be obedient. But don't use that as a crutch, okay? You can be obedient and successful. Successful in God's eyes. You know, successful in God's eyes. Our lives changing. Our people going to heaven. There's an old principle that you've probably heard about thinking outside the box. You ever heard that before? We need to think outside the box. Does anybody know where that came from? Well, if you do, don't spoil it for everybody else. But if you've got a piece of paper, turn your your leadership piece of paper over, if you would, and just draw a cube like this of nine dots. Can you see that? Nine dots. Just make a cube of nine dots. Make a cube like nine dots. Not too complex. 
And what I want you to do without lifting your pen from the paper is connect these nine dots with four straight lines. Go ahead and try it. And if you mess up, make another set of nine dots. Try it a couple of times if you need to. Take these nine dots. Connect these nine dots with four straight lines without lifting your pen from the paper. You can think about it, but go ahead and try it too, you know, because you can start over if you want to. Give you a second to do that. Connect the nine dots with four straight lines without lifting your pen from the paper. Anybody done it so far? Okay, you've seen it before, haven't you? Okay. Nobody's ever done this, hasn't seen it before. Now let me show you how this works. Okay? Basically, the way you connect these nine dots is you take your first line and you go down outside the box. I lift it off because I do it. But then you take it up through these two, then across the top, and then down through here. Looks like a giant arrow, if you will. It's a very important theory to creative thinking. If you're trying to do something that's creative, you have to go out your self-imposed boundaries. There's no boundaries around these dots. You put those in there. You're the one to put the boundaries in. Okay, so if you want to remember, hello, if you want to remember how to do this, you just go down, all the way up, then across and down, and it makes, in essence, an arrow. Okay? That's the concept that we want to remember when we're thinking about creative thinking is we need to get outside our self-imposed boundaries. Listen to these statistics by Barna. Barna Research. Five to 13-year-old people Five years old to 13 have a 32% probability of accepting Christ. Five to 13. 14 to 18 year olds have a 4% probability of accepting Christ. And 19 and over, you have a 6% for the rest of your life of accepting Christ. Put another way, between ages 4 and 14, 85% of all people who give their lives to Christ, they do it between the ages of 4 and 14. Between the ages of 19 and 30, 10% give their lives to Christ. And between the ages of 30 and further, it's 5%. I think that's the numbers, right? So when you say to me, well, what's your purpose in life? Well, my purpose in life is to help people get into heaven, then it's pretty simple. You should be working with young people. If your purpose in life is to see people go to heaven, (laughs) unless you like wasting time, if you like wasting time, and that's your purpose, then don't work with youth. Not that your time is wasted, but just the bang for the buck, if you will. So let me give you an example. I go out every once in a while to do consulting with a church. Um, Whether it's looking for a youth pastor, they'll ask me to come in and help them put together a job application. Bless you. Put together a job application for their youth pastor, or they may ask me to come and speak to a group of youth pastors. And here's what I say, and I'll try to do this quickly. Well, let's say I'm meeting with the leadership of the church. I'll say, okay, what's the job of this church here. 
What do you mean, what's the job? What are you guys here to do? Why do you exist? And they start going through a list of things. I say, let me try to simplify that. It's probably will be a little simplistic, but I'm going to try to simplify it. Are you here on this street corner to help people get into heaven? Yes. So that's the goal, right? Yeah, but I mean, we do a lot of things. I understand you do a lot of things, but at the end of the day, if they go to hell, you didn't get it done, right? Right. So the job is to get people in heaven. Okay, whatever, you know, they'll give me that. I'll say, did you know that 85% of all decisions for Christ are made before the age of 18 or 14, whatever the number is? So I said, let me ask you a question. Your youth program, that's your number one program in the church, right? Uh, No. Your youth room, where they meet, is the best space you got in the church, right? Uh, No. You know, how you outfit that room, what you have in that room, what you put into that room is the finest of the finest, right? I know we take old sofas from people who don't want anymore. They don't want to throw away, so they just give it to us. Oh, really? Your marketing. Your marketing, what you put out from your church, is spectacular to the youth, right? Uh, no. What you pay your youth pastors, high salary in church, right? Uh, no. Your youth budget. The biggest budget in the church, right? Uh, No. I said, if you were in business, what they would be saying to you is you're about to go bankrupt. Unless you're just playing church. If you're just playing church, you could probably survive. But if your goal is to get people in heaven, you're going to go bankrupt. And I say that to people. Just to wake up how far we're off sometimes from the, from the goal. So what have I learned? I'll just do these real quick. Number one, what I've learned over the years is there's a lot of spiritual laziness going on, what I call spiritual laziness. There's people that focus on the mental parts of life, the physical parts of life, the emotional parts of life. But when it comes to the spiritual parts of life, we're afraid to talk about it. We're afraid to have conversations about it in public, aren't we? I actually like to have conversations about faith. I want people on a plane sitting next to me four inches away to ask me what I do. I'm looking forward to them asking that question. Because my spiritual part of my life is that's what I'm looking for. Number two, another thing I've learned, worship, fellowship, discipleship, mission in the church always trumps evangelism. Always. Evangelism is way down the list of what we focus on in churches, isn't it? I read this statistic just recently. Did you know that 95% of Christians, listen to this, 95% of Christians have never led another person to Christ? Not that we lead them to Christ, the Holy Spirit does it, but in the process, human beings are involved. 95% of Christians have never done that. Roughly half of all churches in America 
did not add one new person through conversion growth in their church last year. Half the churches didn't lead one person through conversion growth into their church last year. In America, it takes the combined effort of 85 Christians working over an entire year to produce one convert. We say it again. In America, it takes the combined effort of 85 Christians working over an entire year to produce one convert. Mind-boggling. And in the United States, there are 4,000 new churches that are started every year and 35,000 churches that close. So we're on our way to bankruptcy. And um, so the last principle I want to teach and I've learned is that I want churches to think through a principle called youth-led church growth. Youth-led church growth. Um, In other words, evangelize youth. And then the best way to reach their parents is through the evangelization of their children. Because if that child doesn't start after getting evangelized to go to discipleship meeting, small group, fellowship, that's coming. But the first thing is go to the worship service on Sunday morning. Get up out of bed and go to the worship service because now you have a parent laying in bed going, where are you going? Uh, I'm going to church. Why? I want to. Yeah, but why are you going to that church? Because I like it. And he goes, and what are those parents doing laying in bed? What's happening to Johnny? Where? Why is he? What's it? Guess what? Now you get to pastor church have Johnny bring a picture of his parents and put it up on his wall in his, in his office. Start praying for his parents because they're coming. And when they come, you'll know their names. In the children's ministry downstairs, get the pictures of his little children, his brothers and sisters, put them on the wall because they're coming. Because when you evangelize a young person who starts going to church, you are going to get the attention of the family. And that's the fastest way to grow a church by far. No question about it. Unless you just want to take members from other churches to grow your church. Which is exactly what we do, isn't it? So that's what I've learned. Those are some of the lessons. And I'll just turn it over to Doug, who I only know as Bubba. And uh, answer questions. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Denny's Talk. We really hope that you enjoyed it and that it added value to your life. Again, you can leave comments about what impacted you and see the show notes at l3leadership.org forward slash episode 117. Um, and we'd really appreciate to hear your feedback on that. Uh, a few things as we finish up. Uh, if you want to stay in touch with L3 Leadership and everything that we're doing, you can go to our website at l3leadership.org and sign up for our email list. Uh, and you'll also get a free copy of my ebook, Making the Most of Mentoring. It's my step-by-step process for getting mentor or getting meetings with mentors and leaders and uh and I think it'll really add value to your life and you'll be able to keep up with everything that we're doing. 
I also want to thank our other sponsor, 068, a company led by my friend Daniel Bull, and they actually collaborate with ex-convicts that actually start companies. And so they've started, I believe, 11 or 12 companies already with ex-convicts. They also have a a program called Work Pittsburgh in which they actually hire ex-convicts as well. And so they're doing some incredible work. You can learn more about them at 068.org, all spelled out, 068.org. Again, if this podcast added value to your life, we would really appreciate if you would jump on iTunes and leave a rating and review and subscribe. It helps us spread the word. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, I like to close with a quote. And Henry Cloud said this. He said, don't be self-centered. You won't like the self you end up with, nor will others like you either. Life is never just about us. Never. And one thing that really struck me about Denny's talk was life is not about him. And there's a huge purpose between uh, behind why he does what he does. And at the end of the day, it's just to love people and give his life away so that others can have their lives transformed. And I want to encourage you to do the exact same thing today. So thanks again for listening and being part of L3 Leadership. Laura and I appreciate you so much. And we hope you have a wonderful day. Talk to you next episode. 